Podcast. Nick Hales is a Redskin Cleanser, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear. I mean, Justin Hunter, really? Try catching 30 passes in a season before you start complaining about roster moving. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins wagon. Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, not much, Josh. I'm a little stressed out about our Dynasty draft. I just don't think it's really fair having to draft right behind you, who knows all of my sleepers, all the guys I'm high on. But that being said, I did get the guy I targeted in the last round. Uh, I think we'll get touch more on that later, though. How are you doing today, Josh? Uh, I'm doing good, doing good. I was actually a little surprised that you went to running back in the second round, but uh, I guess I don't know your team. You did take my handcuffs, so uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that later. Uh, like I said, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast presented by the Dynasty Football Warehouse. Uh, it's our IDP show today, which is something I'm super excited. Um, our uh, IDP uh, doctor on staff, Mr. Sean Kirby, has uh, taken me under his wing since I've come over to DFW and really really molded me into into an IDP writer, and I, and I thank him for that, and hopefully we're, we're going to have him, hold on, hopefully we're going to have him come on a little bit later and have us have him talk about that, and we'll get you guys all squared away for the rookies. Um, seriously, if you're an IDP player, this is the podcast to listen to because Sean knows his stuff. He knows the ins and outs, and this is this is what we, we're going to do for you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This is what we do for you because that's how awesome we are. Uh, but I also want to get everybody informed here about our our, our inscription, our insider membership. So uh, take a look. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our insider membership. For just twenty nine ninety nine per year, you get the insider membership plus our rookie draft kit. Insider membership itself is twenty four ninety nine. Just the rookie guide is nine ninety nine. DFW is worth. Dynasty football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to insider articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over 1,000 articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and set up on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 
143 skill position, 106 page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away at, during the halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. Like I said, this is our IDP show, and uh, you know if, if you haven't gotten that rookie guide yet, like I said, we're keeping it updated. So make sure you check that out, and we're and we're gonna stay on those rookie IDP guys too. So um, I don't know what it seems weird to say we're trying to tackle the defensive players today because that's what they that's what they do, but uh, that's what we are attempting to do as we dive deep into the dynasty rookies. But first, let's look ahead to the future. Nick, did you see this video of 2016 prospect? Shane Oakman, defensive end, uh, 6'8", 280-pound defensive end out of Baylor, doing what exactly? He was he did he jumped he did a 40-inch vert while holding 70 pounds of weights in his hands. So what, did you see that? What did you think about that? I did. That's just insane athleticism. I haven't had a chance to watch much tape on the kid yet, but definitely uh, definitely he's going to be one to watch at the combine next year if he comes into the draft. Yeah, he he was on the fence this year, and I think he announced at the end of the year that he was coming back to school. But, uh, yeah, we're probably talking about a top-10 pick, I would imagine, unless something something crazy happens. But maybe Sean can, can enlighten us on that fact. But, uh, yeah, uh, you, know, you know those college stats maybe lie just a little bit, so maybe he's not 6'8", 280. Maybe he's only 6'6", to. 70 or 60, but uh, uh, nonetheless, he is a, a super freakish athlete. So uh, looking looking forward to him in the future, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably be talking about him next year about this time. So looks like the good doctor is already in the queue. So let's, let's patch him through. John, are Hello? you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Am I coming through all right? Yes. Yes, we can hear you just fine. I uh, sorry, to, I know you you called in a couple minutes early, but I we were right there to you to you. So I thought I'd click you on over. Did you uh, did you happen to catch uh, 2016 uh, prospect Shane Oakman jump 40 inches with 70 pounds of weight in his hand? <laughs> oh, I did, and I think um, there was a similar video out um, for an offensive line prospect this year. Was it? Eric Flowers or, or someone like that. Um, YouTube videos tend to go pretty viral. Those are always pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, again, I should have gave you a proper introduction. Sorry, it is uh, our IDP doctor on staff, uh, Mr. Sean Kirby. How are you doing today? Oh, doing pretty good. Um, how about yourself? We're doing good. Uh, we're ready to talk some IDP rookies. Um, so why don't uh, why don't you maybe just tell, in case I don't know if you've been on the podcast in the in the past before with the old with the old crew, but why don't you just tell everybody kind of kind of what you do and maybe how you got started with the IDP thing? Um, yeah. So you know, uh, IDP is a relatively young field. Um, in fantasy football in general, and I can't say that I was on the very cutting edge of it, but I've been involved with it um, for about five years now. And uh, uh, the I was just very active in the forums. Dan kind of reached out to me to see if I'd be interested and started writing for DFW about three years ago. Um, you know, my first couple years playing IDP, it was kind of a mystery because not only um, was I not extremely familiar with the defensive side of the ball, but also there just wasn't a lot written out there. So pretty much anything we were writing um, was treading relatively new ground. Uh, since then, you know, we put out a lot, and a lot of other people have done some studies on what makes good IDPs, and uh, I think we've come a long way. Um, but now I'm on staff directing not only uh, the articles that we're pushing out, but uh, also we've got a team of rankers now. We've got a team of people um, putting out articles, and I think that, you know, we've really got a nice IDP thing going for us here at DFW. Yeah, you kind of got Bruce Kimbrough and Tom Bradbury there as your, your right-hand and left-hand man, I guess we'll say. Um, and, uh, yeah, you guys you guys are cranking pretty hard, hard, and I certainly have been had a lot of fun trying trying to do the IDP thing myself and help help them out with that. So uh thank I guess I should just say thank you for all for all your help and I don't know if you feel like you've maybe done a lot, but you certainly have helped in our your notes for the podcast in the past too have really helped us out too. So 'cause we're oh, kinda new to help this thing it's ourselves. It's a fun show. Glad to be involved. Yeah. So um why don't you just get into it with your uh your top five defensive linemen for the rookies this year. Yeah, so we'll talk a lot about positions, and it's kind of something that's very uh, specific to IDPs, I guess. Um, you really have to think about what position these guys are going to be um, when they reach their NFL teams. And we kind of talked about this a little bit in our um, emails leading up to this podcast. But um, if you follow Dynasty Football Warehouse, you notice that we kind of called all of these sack producers, college prospects, edge rushers, and we ranked them as um, edge rushers leading up to the draft. Uh, well, now that we know where they're heading, we're dividing them up into the ones that become the ones, basically the ones that go to a four, three defense are mostly going to be defensive ends. And those that are going to three, four teams, um, as you're probably familiar, will be classified as linebackers, outside linebackers in a three, four system. So those outside linebackers um, might produce similar stats to our four, three DNs, um, but aren't really going to be as competitive in the field of linebacker. Um, so the guys we'll talk about here are going to be mostly edge rushers, the guys that I'm seeking out, especially in a rookie draft. It's a pretty big investment on an IDP. Um, I'm looking mostly for DNs in a 4-3 system. And there are a couple of D tackles that uh, might be able to make some waves pretty early. Um, kind of setting a little bit more groundwork about the positions. Once we get to defensive ends, uh, the guys who have traditionally been the sack leaders in the NFL have been right defensive ends in a 4-3 system. Um, so trying to find those guys becomes even more difficult um, 
and we've seen more and more in recent years that some of the three, four defensive ends have become uh, pretty competitive. J.J. Watt is obviously uh, the most recent example who's exceeding far what we ever expected a three, four defensive end or any defensive end in the, in the league could do. Um, so it's getting a little bit muddy here, but uh, I'll go ahead and jump into mine and I'll kind of talk about some of those aspects as I go through them. Sure. Uh, my number, my number five guy is Eric Armstead uh, going to San Francisco. And the reason to like Armstead is partially because of his physicality. He's six foot seven. He's just this huge guy that definitely brings a stud three, four defensive end to mind, kind of like a Calais Campbell type build. And that's part of the reason that I've got him ranked so highly. The other part is that Justin Smith is or is not retiring. It sounds like now he is almost certainly retiring. So there's going to be some openings on the San Francisco line. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's some other... now. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there are some other guys there. I mean, Cornelius Carradine is a guy who's kind of had some ACL problems. Uh, he could probably come back and make a run for that position. Um, but Eric Armstead has about as good of an opportunity as he could to come in and claim a job. He's a little bit raw, so he's probably not going to do so this year. Um, but uh, most of these defensive ends or defensive line prospects in general contributing to your IDP roster in year one. A lot of them take a couple years, two, three, sometimes even four or more years to really come into their own and become effective IDPs. Um, but I really like Armstead. If he can bite a roster spot for at least a year, um, I think that he has a potential to uh, to become a pretty good option there. Do you want me to, like, roll through these, or are we going to – Yeah, why don't you roll through them, and then we'll ask questions at the end of the, the category, so to speak. Sorry to sound like Alex. All right. Go ahead. Um, so next up is a guy who's going to a 4-3 system, Oamagbe Odigizua, and he's been a riser. Um, it's You know, the term freak gets overused definitely when we're talking about prospects, but if there are two guys in this year's draft that are just physical freaks, I would say it's Odigizua and a deeper guy that's not even in my top five, Daniil Hunter. Um, but Odigizua just showed up at the combine looking totally ripped, um, just like a guy that, I mean, there's no reason that anyone should be able to stop the physical force that Odigizua looks like um, when he's running around there in the underwear Olympics. Um, but he's going to go into New York uh, play for the Giants. They've got some openings on their line. I think I actually read today um, Robert Ayers suffered what sounds like a pretty nasty ankle and or knee injury, and he's kind of had some trouble in the past. So that, again, clears one more hurdle for Odigizua. Um, he's been classified by some analysts as more of a left defensive end. We talked about the right defensive ends being the guys that generate a lot of the sacks. Um, the left tack, the left defensive ends um, in a lot of these 4-3 systems will register more tackles, but um, sometimes will struggle to get to those double-digit sack numbers. So that's kind of the trajectory he's on now with Ayers opening side of the line. However, uh, we all know Jason Pierre-Paul is in the last year of his contract, so things there could definitely change next year as soon as 2016. Um, but Odigi is, I think, a rare defensive line prospects that could definitely produce this year um, another injury or some impressive workout that he could become even pretty close to the starting left at the end opposite Jason Pierre-Paul. There's still DeMontre Moore on the roster who could put up some competition, um, but they got rid of Matthias Kiwanuka um, this offseason as well. So um, definitely some opportunity and definitely some physical talent there. He comes with some medical red flags. He's gotten 
had multiple hip surgeries, um, was still kind of coming back from that in his last year of college. Um, so if that's really true and we haven't even seen his full potential, it's a little bit concerning that he's had these ongoing medical problems, but it's also a little bit exciting that like he might not even be full strength yet and he could even grow as a player as he gets back to full health. Um, so Adigazua, number four. Um, number three, I've still got Dante Fowler up there. And it's really hard to assess um, that ACL injury without knowing how he's going to come back from that. He was my number – well, I think he was actually still my number three. He was either my number two or three before the injury. Um, the reason that it didn't drop him further down my ranks is that, like I said, I'm not really expecting any of these defensive linemen to become significant contributors in their first year. And the only reason I've got Vic Beasley ranked so highly is because he could potentially make some steps um, – in 2015. Um, but Dante Fowler, he's still ranked up there. Um, you're going to have to sit on him for this year. He's not coming. He's not going to come back for a late season push or anything. Even when he does come back, he's going to be slowly worked in as their Leo rusher. Um, and Josh, I know you're not a Dante Fowler fan. He's a lot less <laughs> explosive than a lot of the defensive end prospects. I, I understand what a lot of people are saying about that, but he is a bigger and more versatile player for sure. And he's able to set the edge in a way that can contribute to his tackle counts, I think in a way that's very valuable for IDP. So he, I don't know that he'll ever exceed some of these other guys in sacks, um, but I think he will boast higher tackle counts. Um, so Dante Fowler's number three, again, injury red flag. If you can't waste a roster spot for a year, and I don't even know that I would, cause there's a lot of valuable things you can do with a roster spot. Um, then you might want to stay away from him. Uh, number two, I've got Vic Beasley going to Atlanta. Um, and the only thing controversial about this is that um, host sites have been really hesitant to call him a defensive end. If you go to Roto World, that's how he's listed. He's playing the Leo Rusher role in all of this, sort of um, Gus Bradley, Seattle, Atlanta's now Dan Quinn led defenses, they all kind of have this Leo rushing role, which is sort of a hybrid defensive end linebacker, but they've always been classified as defensive ends on pretty much any team. Um, now he chose this number that is usually more designated for linebackers. Um, my fantasy league is calling him a linebacker. Atlanta's calling him a linebacker. And there's some conspiracy theory that maybe this is um, – because Atlanta wants to pay him less when they franchise tag him, like, or, or either pick your option down the road. Uh, I also heard, I think it's Carl Zabel, who's a great guy. Um, he told me he chose the number, I think it was 44, because he was selected, or was it, uh, I, what number was he selected in the draft? Do you have that there in front of you, Vic Beasley? Oh, uh, I think he was six or seven, or maybe so eight. I think it was eight and he chose 44 plus the reason that he becomes a linebacker I'll just have to throw my IDP hat on the ground because I don't know I mean it's just a mess like he should be a defensive end he should be one of the few defensive ends that can contribute this year um, but if he's a linebacker in your league he's almost lost all value um, because you got to figure Dan Quinn's going to be there for a while and that scheme's not going to change drastically as long as they're under stable coaching uh, but Unlike Dante Fowler, unlike some of the other guys, he is more of like that sack-producing player. He's got great explosion. He'll generate double-digit sacks 
if he gets a major role at some point in his career, I'm pretty confident. Um, that might not be his first year. Dan Quinn likes to rotate his guys in and out a lot, so he might struggle to get there. Um, but he is my favorite pure pass rusher out of all of these guys. The other guys can maybe produce IDP, IDP points in other ways, um, but in terms of sacks, I, I like Vic Beasley a lot. And then number one, I've still got Leonard Williams. Um, he's on that new wave. It's not really new anymore. It's probably been going on for about five years. Three, four defensive ends are very useful for IDP. Um, not only are okay. certain coaches finding ways of generating better pass rush from their three, four defensive ends, but they also generally get more tackle volumes because they're plugging up multiple holes in the run defense. Um, so Leonard Williams going under Todd Bowles um, seems like a good thing. He previously made Calais Campbell a really good 3-4 DN, um, but unfortunately he lands there behind probably two of the best 3-4 defensive ends in the league with Wilkerson and Richardson. So he probably won't be a full-time starter um, this year. So, again, it's another guy with really great upside. Defensive end is hard to find a real stud. There's not that many of them in the league. I think Leonard Williams has a great chance to be one down the road, and so I'd love to store him on my roster. I just don't know if I can justify doing it for a whole year when there's so many running backs coming and going that I'm going to miss out on um, investing that free roster spot. So really defensive end, those are my top five. I'd love to have them on my roster, but you got to justify a spot because other than Vic Beasley, I'm not sure who's giving you points this year. And maybe Vic Beasley's not even a defensive end, so – so there we go. Okay. Uh, Nick, you got any questions there for Sean? Uh, yeah, I was curious uh, what your thoughts were on Randy Gregory. I noticed you didn't make your top five. I'm assuming that's because of the red flags, the marijuana problems and whatnot. But uh, what are your thoughts on him if he's able to stay clean? So he's another guy. Um, we talked about missing a real 4-3 right defensive end. Um, I think maybe Odigizua could make that transition after Pierre-Paul leaves. Um, maybe – you know, Vic Beasley and Fowler are more of the Leo rushers, so they don't really fit it. But Randy Gregory is the first guy on my list that really fits that. Um, so it would not surprise me at all if he makes the most of his physical tools, lives up to what um, he can be. Um, he could probably be a really good player in about a year's time. Um, I have him at six, largely because of the depth chart, actually more so than the um, – off the field issues, although those weigh in the back of your mind at least a little bit. Um, you know, just landing there with Greg Hardy, um, there are very few people who have produced double-digit sacks in back-to-back -back years. In the last two years that Greg Hardy was active, um, he did it, I believe, or maybe it was the year before that. Greg Hardy's just a really great defensive end. If he gets his suspension shortened, which it sounds like it's a possibility, then Randy Gregory definitely could suffer for playing time. Uh, Long-term, that doesn't really affect that. As long as he keeps his head clean, it seems like um, he's got the potential to be a very good startable IDP D end. Okay. Um, what about uh, uh, Michael Bennett? I I really like this kid. He's he's kind of the smaller defensive tackle. You know, not kind of along the lines of Aaron Donald. I don't think he's that small, but. He he showed a lot of versatility at Ohio State, where he could play just about anywhere on the line. And I guess he slipped in the draft really far too. I thought he was maybe a, at least a, a second round pick. Uh, what what are your thoughts on him? Yeah. So the thing with Bennett is that he, I mean, I don't know that I agree with this, but the thought was that he's 
kind of fits into a certain system as like a pass rushing 4-3 defensive tackle. There just aren't that many 4-3 teams left in the NFL. Um, I think this is one of the first years that there's actually more 3-4 teams than 4-3. Um, so he fell a little ways to Jacksonville. Um, and at that position, if your league requires defensive tackles, it's really hard to find a guy who can generate a lot of sacks from that position. There's just not a lot of um, Gerald McCoys in the world. Um, guys like Danny Shelton will get on the field earlier. They'll get more tackles. But really finding a guy who can generate sacks and really have high upside at the defensive tackle position is pretty rare. And I, I agree. Um, Michael Bennett could do so. Um, in Jacksonville specifically. They find ways to get their defensive tackles um, into the backfield with more regularity than a lot of the teams. Um, I think he's got definitely the potential to do that. He's got to earn that starting role and earn somewhat of an every-down role to do so. But I would say I think I have him as, in terms of interior defensive linemen, um, I've got him behind Danny Shelton, who's really kind of an apples and oranges. Um, Danny Shelton's going to get more tackles. Um but Michael Bennett's almost certainly going to get more sacks. And then I've got him behind Mario Edwards, and I think that's about it. If your league requires defensive tackles, Michael Bennett's definitely a great consideration. Okay. Um, since you you mentioned him and he wasn't in your top five, what I, I kind of feel the same way that you do about Shelton, that he's just going to need to be on the field. We talked about him last week. Um, he's just going to need to be on the field. So what, what are you kind of – could you maybe just throw out a quick prediction of what do you think he can do for rookie production since he's been somewhat of a controversial figure behind the scenes here at DFW? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's interesting. Um, I mean, we talked about how all, almost none of these guys are going to produce for you this year. Um, he will. Uh, he's going to start for the Browns, I'm pretty confident, and he's probably going to see most of the snaps. And as the sole guy at the front of that 3-4 defense, I mean, just by chance, some of the running backs are going to bump into his massive body and fall over. He's going to generate some tackles. He's got good length. He's going to do something in run defense. He's going to give you, I would guess, I mean, for my defensive lineman to be a stud, like an absolute top five guy at his position, I want 40 tackles and double-digit sacks. I'd be surprised if he ever gets close to double-digit sacks very few nose tackles ever have. I mean, Sue is kind of a rarity. Um, but I would say it's realistic to expect 30 tackles from him, maybe even if he really does get that starting role from week one. I mean, 40 tackles is a possibility. And if you really want a high-floor rookie defensive lineman, he's the best bet. He's got the most best odds of producing some fantasy points this year, just maybe not the highest ceiling ever in the long term. Yeah, Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland certainly needs him. And and in just case you guys are wondering, put that in perspective. I know. Uh, I'm not sure last year, but the year before, I know Don Terrio Pole for Kansas City, who I consider to be one of the top defensive tackles in the league, produced 50 tackles. So that's that's a pretty solid. That's pretty solid out of that position. Um, you know, 30, 40 is very, very good. 50 is pretty, pretty awesome. So uh, exactly. And another right nose tackle. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You can finish your thought there. Oh, I was just going to say, Poe's just another nose tackle. I mean, those guys tend to get a lot of tackles. And Poe is actually one of the rare ones that gets some sacks as well, kind of like Sue, whereas the Angadas and Will Forks of the world um, don't generally make that many sacks. They get tied up by the multiple offensive linemen that are covering them. 
Uh, move on to your linebackers. All right, linebackers. This is where most people spend their money, um, and maybe it's because they make more impact as a rookie. Although, in my experience, I mean, there's just a lot of depth at this position, um, whereas the defensive lineman, it's really a lot harder to find an elite guy. So you kind of got to balance that back and forth. And, again, we're going to talk about 3-4. We're talking about inside linebackers and um, – Within a 4-3, mostly middle linebackers and weak side linebackers, but there are some uh, Sam linebackers that can that have been pretty productive in recent years. But my number five guy is Josh's favorite. And, see, I have him number five. I don't think I'm super low on Paul Dawson. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm not as high as some people on Paul Dawson. If you watch the film, you see what looks like the best linebacker in the class. Um, Just great instincts. He's always right on the ball. He wraps people up extremely well. Um, But then the red flags start to come in. You hear the stuff about his off-the-field issues. And really, I'm not too worried about any of them, except for maybe that he shows up late to some meetings. He doesn't have a great um, work ethic. He's kind of played off as being a goofball by some of his coaches, which doesn't sound too serious, but you want your – player to take it seriously if they're going to grow into the stud you want them to be that's the least of my worries um next up you've got the combine where he's a little bit slower than you wanted but he really makes up for that with his instincts and all the stuff we see on film and i I get a little bit worried that that's not going to translate at the nfl level but you know still enough that i have him pretty high i think you know the stuff you see on film is probably more important than how fast he runs his 40 um so I'm still willing to bear with you. I'm going to be okay with Paul Dawson. But then he lands on the Bengals, and he's behind Von yeah. Perfect. And that's what really did it for me. I have a hard time putting him above some of these other guys. Um, he's not going to play middle linebacker. He's not going to play on the strong side. Um, so he really has to pass Perfect. And I guess there's recent news today that Perfect's hobbling around like an 80-year-old man after his microfracture surgery. So I might have to revise these rankings if there really is a lot of concern there for Burfitt. Um, Because if he gets a starting role, look out, this could be the IDP player of the year. Um, He's got a lot of those things that just cause him to be around the ball, could lead to huge tackle volumes as a rookie. But he's got to overcome his depth chart. Sure. Well, and with Dawson, and I think the main reason I was so high on him is I think he does have the capability to play inside. You know, not necessarily in a in a 4-3, but certainly in a 3-4, because when that oh, yeah. that crazy TCU defensive system, it's a 4-2-5, so he's only one of two linebackers on the field. So he's he's an outside linebacker and a middle linebacker at the same time. So I, I, I think he has the ability to play inside, and I, I, don't, I don't like the landing spot a lot, but I was happy to see that when he finally got drafted, I was very happy for him. So sorry, go ahead. No, no, I agree. He could have been a 3-4 inside linebacker. A lot of teams are going with like a smaller kind of coverage proficient um, inside linebacker duo. Like you used to see one of those guys paired with more of a middle linebacker type, but some teams are doing more of that. Like San Francisco um, having two of those really coverage proficient inside linebackers, and those systems have worked out pretty well. Um, but he's at the Bengals for now, so we'll just have to see how that uh, camp battle goes. How perfect Snee does is really the factor. Um, number four for me is Shaq Thompson. I think he's a linebacker. This is another one of those we weren't sure before the draft, and then he got drafted to probably the only team that gave us absolutely no clarity on the situation at all. Um, Carolina, 
has Thomas Davis, who is basically Shaq Thompson after I think he had three, the same ACL repaired three times. That sound right? Um, but it sounds like he has at least a year or two left in the tank before Shaq Thompson would eventually get to take over that role. Um, that role has actually been really good for Thomas Davis. But with Luke Keekley on the field, it's hard to be anything more than an LB2, um, which I think is probably Shaq Thompson's ceiling as long as he's on that team. Um, Carolina's much weaker at the safety position, so you could imagine a world where they put him into that safety role. He would be a very nice defensive back to have on your team, um, somewhat similar in value to Dion Buchanan, who played a little bit of linebacker, um, depending on the formation that they were in. Uh, but it's also too hard to get excited about investing a rookie pick at all, especially a high rookie pick on a defensive back. Um, but that's Shaq Thompson. He's a little bit of a quandary right now. I really like his skill set. I like his speed, um, his ability to chase down plays. He's kind of that Telvin Smith type of linebacker. Uh, but has some positional clarity, some depth chart problems that they need to figure out. Um, number three for me is Bernardrick McKinney. I really wasn't high on him before the draft. Um, I thought that his fourth, or, uh, sorry, his third down skills would keep him off the field. Um, he's not great in coverage. If you watched him at the combine, he looked a little bit stiff when he's moving around, um, stiff in the hips, that is. But he's really quick. He's really athletic. If you just looked at all these guys um, standing at the combine in their, their shorts, he'd probably be the guy you'd pick. He looks just like a physical specimen. He's got great height, great length. Um, so he'll definitely be a two-down, a great player on two downs in Houston. I'm pretty confident. And if he can get that third down under his belt and become a three-down player, or every-down player, um, he could very well be uh, the top linebacker in this year's draft class at the end of the year when all is said and done. Um, I'm just not totally confident that that's going to happen. Um, he's going there next to Brian Cushing. Even when Brian Cushing was apparently, quote-unquote, healthy, he wasn't an every-down player. So I don't think there's any reason that McKinney shouldn't be able to stay on the field as long as he's somewhat capable, average, NFL caliber in his coverage abilities. So McKinney, number three. Two is Stephon Anthony. And if you were – following me during the draft. I freaked out when he went to New Orleans. I think I tweeted out that he was the winner, IDP, from the first round. I moved him to number one in my rankings as soon as I could. I was ready to take him in the late first, early second round of my rookie drafts. I was totally all over Stephon Anthony, um, just because Curtis Lofton was so good in that role. He produced so many tackles, um, and there's such a big void there. I mean, you've got to overcome David Hawthorne for, for a role. Um, since then, I kind of went back and I watched some Anthony film and remembered why I didn't have him ranked number one before then. Um, he's a very good linebacker at most aspects of the game. Um, but he's just not Eric Kendricks in his skill set. So I went back and moved Eric Kendricks back ahead of him. I think Stephon Anthony has a very low bust potential. I think he's got almost a lock to be an LB two or three as long as he stays healthy. Um, but I just don't think that he is the most talented linebacker in the class. And the most talented would be Eric Kendricks, who landed in a, an only slightly worse situation. Um, so when Eric Kendricks went to moving on to my number one, 
Um, when Kendricks went to Minnesota, I was at first a little confused if he was going to be out there on third down because um, they have Chad Greenway, who's getting older, but he's still okay at weak side linebacker. And they've got Anthony Barr, who was almost an every down player on the at, um, strong side linebacker. And then uh, Kendricks presumably will jump to the front of the depth chart at middle linebacker. Um, I think that that will be the case. Um, and I was worried that Barr and uh, Greenway would push him off the field on third downs, but then I remembered uh, Zimmer puts Barr with his hand down for, for a, la- a large percent of the time on third down. And so hopefully that means that Greenway and Kendricks will be every down linebackers. Barr will still be out there, um, and all three of them will be every down players. And then you know, I go back and forth with myself. This is just the IDP analyst in me hoping that all three of those guys are out there, all three down. Um, because that would certainly be the best-case scenario uh, for our IDP team. At, at defensive end, they really don't have a lot opposite of Everson Griffin. They've got Brian Robeson, who recently tore a pectoral muscle. We're not sure how serious that is. Behind him, they've got Daniil Hunter, who's a really promising prospect, um, but he's also extremely raw. So I think it definitely makes sense for them to have Barr shift into that role and keep their strongest personnel out there. And if they do that, uh, Eric Kendricks is just a beast in run defense. Uh, he's pretty proficient in coverage. And, uh, you know, he's he didn't really rush the passer a lot in college, um, but there's some evidence that he'd be able to do that. So Eric Kendricks, number one for me. Um, if you really, really need him, last pick of the first round to me is not unreasonable. Uh, he's a much better value around the mid-second. I think he took him early second in DFW 36, which is okay. Um if you have a need, I think that's definitely the right place to get him to make sure you do get Eric Kendricks because him and Anthony are in a top tier by themselves. You definitely want one of those guys if you really need a linebacker with a very low bust rate. Yeah, he went uh, – I took him 2.13, and then the other two copies of him went shortly after that. And uh, as we are speaking here, um, Bradbury, Mr. – Mr. Rockpie himself made a huge deal to slip back in and get uh, Stephon Anthony at uh, pick 3.01. So just to get everybody's perspective on what's happening in rookie drafts. So, uh, um, Nick, do you have any questions there about the linebacks? Uh, yeah, quick question on Shaq Thompson. I was wondering if there's any history at all with IDP guys uh, qualifying at two different positions, say if Carolina was to move him all over the field at safety and linebacker, kind of like a Dexter McCluster uh, being listed as a running back and a wide receiver on the offensive side of the ball. That's a good question. Um, although I haven't seen anyone with dual eligibility that I can recall. I mean, it's certainly – and I don't know that I play in the right format because I don't think I've seen it much on offense either. Um, I've seen them in rankings ranked both ways, um, and then you kind of pick whichever one fits your format better. But I haven't personally seen it in IDP. But your question brings something to mind that we have seen some IDPs play offense. We've seen J.J. Watt catch some touchdowns. Um, we've seen a lot of the cornerbacks run back special teams plays. And, you know, that Carolina running back situation is far from (laughs) written in stone with Jonathan Stewart just an injury away um, from Cameron Artis-Payne being the runner there. I mean, what if Shaq Thompson becomes the running back and you are getting, like, 30 points 
out of your defensive back position every week. Like, I mean, it's just obscene. Like, it's not going to happen. Nobody should go out there and draft Shaq Thompson imagining that would happen. But, like, just keep that in the back of your mind. If you're deciding a tiebreaker between him and someone else, maybe he's a running back one week. <laughs> uh, we've actually – I think Nick brought that up earlier a couple months ago back on the podcast. So, yeah, we – uh he he is a college running back, so there's uh, there's certainly a possibility that he's able to do that. Um, we're we're right at the end of our time. Do you have time to give us your top three DBs? Oh sure, I can go through them real quick. Sorry, I, I talk a lot. Okay. I guess. Um, That's all right. That's good stuff. Man. You're, back. You're, you're dropping nuggets. We love it. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know what kind of nuggets. All right, they're talking about um, <laughs> defensive backs. We're trying to find our strong safeties. There's one that was a strong safety forever and ever. He's been the top safety on everyone's board. He goes to a depth chart that's non-existent. It's Landon Collins. He's the only defensive back. If you go into your rookie draft and you know one defensive back, Landon Collins is enough. Um, He's going to be an every-down player unless something disastrous happens. Um, And he's going to be that run defender, so he's the one you want. James Sample could also maybe become – pretty close to a functional IDP if he really splits the safety role with Jonathan Cyprian. Um, And then uh, he'll be the full safety, but Jacksonville claims that they split their safety duties pretty evenly between the strong safety and the full safety. So that's a whole other story, I suppose. And then I'll plug one cornerback. This is my guy. I'm planting my flag everywhere. Byron Jones. Um, Cornerback is really hard to predict, and I pretty much don't roster them unless my league requires it. I always prefer the safeties, but if I have to draft a cornerback, I look for rookies because they get picked on by opposing teams, and all of that picking on um, leads to a lot of tackle opportunities. Um, And then I also look for Tampa 2 cornerbacks who get to play a little bit of run defense. And Byron Jones is both of those criteria. The cornerback depth chart maybe isn't 100% clear right now, so it's not risk-free by any means, but he's my one cornerback that I'll plug in, and that's all. Well, and with those rookie corners, you know, you said they get picked on. That's that's a really good point. I was kind of thinking about that myself. Um, so let's say they get picked on this year. Do, do they hold their value if they become the shutdown corner? <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to say, and I think that it, it you don't want them to be too good. You don't want them to be Joe Hayden um, or Richard Sherman because they're just going to throw the ball away. And you don't want them to be too terrible that they're, like, losing, always at risk of losing their position. You want them to be just good enough that they're out there all the time making plays, but not good enough that the quarterbacks are, like, too scared to throw the ball away from them. Like, D'Angelo Hall was always kind of this fringe, good enough, number one shutdown cornerback that he was a really functional IDP for years, and teams weren't totally avoiding him to the point that he had just no opportunities at all. I think Nick's uh, probably – over there as I'm talking about D'Angelo Hall, but um, <laughs> no, no, I mean okay. it, it is it is kind of a double-edged sword. It's really hard to predict who you are, who you want from one year to the next, and you could probably just pick one of ten names out of a hat and go with that from week to week and year to year. I'm not drafting these guys, planning for them to be my franchise cornerback. I'm getting a guy for a year or two and then probably moving on. All right. Solid advice. Nick, any, any questions there before we let you on go? 
Uh, just curious if uh, I know a lot of people have Trey Waynes as their number one corner. Do you have Jones above Waynes because you're more worried about Waynes uh, being a better corner and getting less opportunities, or because of the Tampa two system? It's mostly because of the Tampa two system. Um, you know, I think Waynes probably is the guy that I would draft to my NFL team, um, but for my IDP team, I'll take the Tampa two guy every time. Okay. Well, thank you, Sean, for giving us your time. Um, awesome, awesome, solid advice. Uh, so, uh, well, hopefully we can get you on again as we get closer to the season and talk about these, uh, these veteran IDP guys, but it's of course rookie heaven right now. So thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And thank you again for all, all your help and keep plugging away there at DFW. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, all right, cool. That was certainly Awesome, awesome advice. Like I said, if you're an IDP show and you are an IDP guy and you missed any of that, you need to go back and listen because that was that was amazing. Um, and we didn't have Sean. I wanted to ask him one more question, but I'll, if he listens to this later, I'll be. He can hear me say, "No Denzel Perryman in your linebacker rankings, really? Okay. Uh, it's not like he's got anybody to beat in San Francisco. Or excuse me, San Diego and Donald Butler and Manti Teo." Uh, Perryman is an, two, just 5'11", but he's going, to be, he's going to be a beast inside linebacker as far as I'm concerned. Maybe he can uh, send me a nasty email later explaining why or just some thoughts explaining why. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to my top 10 and Nick's top 10 IDP style a little bit later. Um, let's move on to the best number 16 in NFL history. Uh, Nick, why don't you get us started? This is a series that we've been doing. Uh where we're going to go through the the numbers through the, through the years for the NFL players and who you think we the, who we think are the best number sixteen. There's obviously one name that pops into a lot of people's minds right away, and it's going to be pretty hard to knock him off the pedestal. But let's see what Nick came up with here. Go for it, Nick. All right. Well, there's a lot of names, but you know what? I, I, I like to mention, shall I say, unique names that I come across while researching this. So I'll start with a uh, New York Jets starting quarterback in uh, 1963 and 1964, a man by the name of Dick Wood. Uh, now moving on to more serious guys. Vinny uh, Testaverde's <laughs> 46,000 yards was good for ninth all time, while another somewhat recent quarterback, Jake Plummer, never had amazing stats, but he was sure a fun player to watch. Now, going back in time a ways, it's sometimes hard to decipher stats from the 1950s. Uh, take Frank Gifford, for example. He played halfback, wide receiver, defensive back. He never rushed for 900 yards in a year, never had 800 yards receiving in a year, but he was the 1956 NFL Most Valuable Player, a four-time All-Pro, and went to eight Pro Bowls, seven Pro Bowls in a row. Uh, Norm Sneed went to the second of his four Pro Bowls while quarterbacking a 3-11 and team. Uh, Len Dawson, a Hall of Famer, seven-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl MVP. My favorite stat about Len Dawson, there's three years, 1962, 66, and 68, where he led the AFL in both yards per attempt and completion percentage. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Jim Plunkett, a two-time Super Bowl champion, 1980 Super Bowl MVP, is a little bit of a late bloomer. He actually didn't have a winning season until he was 33 years old. And I think it's safe to say that George Blanda played quarterback, a linebacker for one year, and also kicker, is going to be the only person in history to play in the NFL in four decades. Started in Chicago in 1949. His last season didn't come until 1975 in Oakland at 48 years old. As a quarterback, he won two league championships with Houston in 1960 and 1961. 
But there's no question, the best number 16 of all time is the one and only Joe Montana, four-time Super Bowl champion, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl MVP, was the NFL's most valuable player in 1989 and 1990, went 117-47 record in the regular season, and then 16-7 and in the postseason. You know, is he the best quarterback of all time? I personally say it's Brady by a hair, but I think history may not be the kindest judge to the golden boy now that he's got a scandal on his resume. So Joe Montana, without a doubt, the best number 16 of all time. Uh, you got some old-timers for us, Josh? You forgot Bronco Nagurski, uh, one of the best names in football history. I mean, his first name was Bronco with a K, no doubt. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty hard. I, I, I almost forgot Jim Plunkett. Thank you for saying that. Uh, Lynn Dawson is another guy that came to mind. Just I think kind of, you know, as history goes back, I know he's a Hall of Famer, but he seems to kind of get for, forgotten because he doesn't have a, a handful of rings, but he does have one, and uh, he he is cer- certainly a, a very underrated player in my mind. But yeah, it's pretty hard to uh, when you're talking about best number sixteen to dethrone uh, Mr. Joe Montana. Uh, and I would like to point out that uh, a number sixteen rookie from guy that wore number sixteen as a as a senior, I should say, at uh, K State, Tyler Lockett. I don't know what number he's going to wear up in Seattle, but if he wears sixteen, I think he could potentially be a very, very solid player. But uh, uh, Bronco Nagurski, uh, Hall of Famer, Montana Hall of Famer, Dawson Hall of Famer, Gifford, all those guys are Hall of Famers. A lot of, a lot of rich history there, and it's pretty hard to. Pretty hard to dethrone Montana as well. So let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Uh, first one, Jimmy G and Amari Cooper. Excuse me, Jimmy G and Amari Cooper for two point, excuse me, 3.23 and Jeremy Hill. What are your thoughts there? Some big names in the in the hat there. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of trading for guys that are backup quarterbacks. I know Garoppolo is going to start four games if uh, Brady's suspension isn't real, uh, taken down. But uh, I, I don't know. It's a fairly even trade, I think, because basically you're looking at Cooper for Hill. So if the team that needed a running back got one, the team that needed a receiver got one. Um, and I forgot to check if the player that is getting Garoppolo has Brady. That might be the case, um, which would make a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, and, and that pick, that pick is yet to be picked in this league. This is, well, I guess, this is DFW 40. It's I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I really thought long and hard about this because I'm a Dreamy Hill owner in a different dynasty league, and you know, obviously getting Amari Cooper, you're getting a, a nice, a nice wide receiver and a people, a guy that people believe is going to be very, very good, and. This might be the only offseason that you can trade high on Jeremy Hill. I, I, I love Jeremy Hill a whole hell of a lot, and I was super happy to see what he produced uh, for me last year. But we, we, we know we always come back to that running back window. We just don't know how long he's going to be effective. You know, he, he, he is a between the tackle of a bruiser. He also obviously has the speed to to cut it outside too. But you just you worry about the life of those guys. And, Uh, I would be hard-pressed to give up a whole hell of a lot for him. I'm just happy that I got him in our startup draft last year, and I'll certainly ride him until I can't ride him no more. uh, But if somebody was to overwhelm me with the trade because they wanted a a number one running back, I'm certainly uh, willing to listen. So, yeah, it's a – 
like I said, this might be the only time to trade high on Jeremy Hill. Do you, do you agree with that, Nick? I mean, I, I think he's a great running back, but is, is he, you know, going to be one of the top ten of all time? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's that's there for him. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, possibly it's the only uh, off season that you could uh, that you could sell high on him. But I think running back by committee is pretty much the way of the league. Is you know, there's five maybe feature backs, and behind that it's all committee guys. So I think Jeremy Hill is one of the top committee guys. So I, I don't know. I, I'd feel fairly safe on him as far as running backs go. Okay. And these this sorry this is a DFW 36 draft. I said later earlier that it was 40, but this is 36. Um. So these in these I should preface it with these drafts I know for sure are happening obviously with Amari Cooper being involved during the draft that is ongoing. Um, the next one Nelson Aguilar and uh, Austin Safarin Jenkins for Curtis Lofton and Travis Kelsey. Pretty pretty interesting move here as we have a an IDP and a guy that we think is a, potentially a top five tight end moving forward for Aguilar and ASG, who's a little little behind, but he's still young. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I should throw out the fact that I am biased. I really am high on Aguilar and ASJ. So, you know, I'm going to go with the side that picked up those two guys. Travis Kelsey, yeah, you know, there's a lot of upside there. We do think he's maybe the number as high as the number three uh, tight end in Dynasty Leagues moving forward. But, you know, we haven't. he could be a little bit hamstrung by the conservativeness of his quarterback there in Alex Smith. And Curtis Lofton, you know, he was a stat machine when he played in New Orleans, but he is moving to Oakland. It's a new system. We haven't seen for sure what he's going to be able to do there in Oakland. So I like the, I like the side to pick up uh, Aguilar and ASJ. Yeah, that's that's certainly a youth movement on the Aguilar ASJ side. Um, you you bring up a good point. We don't know what Watson's going to be capable capable of in Oakland. I'm obviously a little too optimistic because they're my boys, uh, but I, I do I do think Ken Norton's going to bring some interesting things. I know it's his first chance, first out of D, out of D coordinator role in the NFL, so that's certainly. A little bit, uh, you know, a little bit concerning. Is but he is a linebacker guy. He understands them, and he's been a linebacker coach for Seattle, and they've had a couple decent linebackers over the last couple of years. So that does excite me. Um, you know, Alex Smith did did feed Kelsey the ball a lot. I had him, I had him on my uh, redraft team, and he was he was a hell of a play last year, almost every week. Um, and uh, I didn't draft him. I drafted Kyle Rudolph, and uh, Kelsey ended up being the man. But uh, you know, and you know, ASJ. We don't know what he. The guy that gave up Aguilar and ASJ. You know, he's maybe thinking we don't know what he's going to turn into. And you know, Aguilar. There's a lot of people very high on him. Uh, you and uh, our, our content uh, director Bill Serby probably are the two highest people on him. And I don't disagree with you taking him 1.05. In our in our league, uh, I, I know Bill took him pretty high in the first round in, in DFW 36 too. So, you know, it's a lot lot of mystery on that side. And you know, Aguilar could be a, a phenomenal, you know, top 20, you know, wide receiver going into next year. So it's it's a good. I think it's a good trade for both sides. You know, obviously, if you want experience, you're going to lean Lofton Kelsey. If you want, you know, if you, maybe if you're rebuilding, you want some youth Aguilar and ASJ. Um, as you know, not necessarily well versed in dynasty as a lot of the guys at DFW. I'm certainly more leaning towards the youth myself because my the team that I inherited in DFW 36 is certainly a 
a work in progress. I'm trying to contend in a couple of years, and so I'm I'm grabbing as many young players as I can. I got ten picks in that seven rounds, so I'm pretty happy. I had two, excuse me, four picks in the top twenty-four. I got. Um, uh, I guess we'll get to that later. Uh, moving forward, Nick, uh, let's go to our top ten IDPs, and we'll do this like we've been doing this over the last couple of weeks with the impact reports. Why don't you just start at uh, number ten and give us your top ten? Uh, well, number ten, I have a safety in San Francisco, uh, Jakiski Tark. Uh, you know, he's six one two eighteen. He may not be the best bet for production this year, but considering the 49ers used the second round pick on him, I wouldn't be surprised if next off season uh, the starter Antoine Bethea ended up getting released. That would save him all, about three point seven five million dollars against the salary cap. Uh, at number nine, I have uh, the defensive end Randy Gregory in Dallas, six six two forty. You got the two concerns: the off the field marijuana issues and the Dallas depth chart. But to me, I'm not worried about the depth chart. Like Sean talked about, pass rushers take time to develop. Uh, no uh, defensive end as a rookie last year had over four sacks. So if you need help at defensive end this year, trade for a veteran. Don't try to trust in one of these rookie guys. Uh, number eight, Shaq Thompson, linebacker slash safety in Carolina. Six foot two twenty eight. I, I really like this kid. You know, there are risks that he ends up at safety. I think he'll end up being a linebacker, though uh, possibly weak side linebacker, the same position as uh, Tampa Bay's tackling machine, Levante David. Plus, his versatility could be an asset. What is it? About half of uh, early round picks end up being busts in the NFL. So if he flames out at linebacker, he could wind up as a decent safety for you. At uh, number seven, I have Vic Beasley, defensive end in Atlanta, 6'2", 246. Uh, you know, with the number three overall pick, Dante Fowler out for the year with the ACL, Vic Beasley is without a doubt the top defensive end, especially in sack-heavy scoring league. And I think uh, the new head coach there, Dan Quinn, finally gets the pass rusher. He always hoped Bruce Irvin would uh, turn out to be. At number six, I have uh, Leonard Williams, defense to end or tackle in New York Jets, 6'5", 302. I know that being on the same D-line as Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson is probably going to hurt his production this year, but Wilkerson's contract expires after this year. I think the future is going to be bright for the most talented player taken in this year's NFL draft. Uh, number five, uh, Landon Collins, the safety to the New York Giants, six foot two twenty eight. I'm still surprised a little bit that Green Bay didn't pair Collins with his Alabama teammate, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, in the late in the first round. Instead, going with Arizona State safety uh, Demarius Randall. If, if you believe in using the tiered system for fantasy draft boards, as I do, Collins is definitely in a tier by himself at the top of rookie defensive back drafts. Um, at number four, I've got uh, Denzel Perryman, the linebacker in San Diego. He's only 5'11", 236. Uh, you mentioned Donald Butler and Mante Teo are their starting linebackers as of now. But according to Pro Football Focus, Butler was the worst defender on the team last year as far as his rating. So he could end up getting benched, even if the contract prohibits the team from cutting him due to the large salary cap hit they'd have to take to cut him. Uh, I, I could see Butler being benched there. Uh, and number three, um, Medark McKinney, the linebacker in Houston, bigger guy, six four, two forty six. Even if often an injury uh, Brian Cushing stays healthy, I think McKinney ends up starting next to him inside. Uh, some say he was a reach at forty three overall. So if I did need a linebacker, and I think Sean touched on this earlier too, if I needed a linebacker and, and, and uh, missed out on the top two guys, I'd probably attempt to trade back, get a guy like Shaq Thompson, Jake Ryan in Green Bay, or a Paul Dawson instead of possibly reaching for a guy like McKinney. Uh, number two, Stephon Anthony, inside linebacker in New Orleans, six foot three, two forty three. The Saints lost Curtis Lofton, like we mentioned, to Oakland. So Anthony does have a chance to play right away. He's a very athletic kid. He's drawn comparisons to the former Saint Jonathan Vilma 
except Anthony's a little bit bigger. I was surprised he was the number one inside linebacker taken in the draft, but he's a very good player. There's a fairly steep drop-off after Anthony. So, again, if you need a linebacker, try like heck to get him or the number one guy. At number one, I got Eric Kendricks, uh, inside linebacker. For Minnesota out of UCLA, six foot two thirty-two, gets to match up with his UCLA teammate Anthony Barr. He's going to be a three-down player. He's got a solid bloodline. His uh, brother is uh, Philadelphia's linebacker Michael Kendricks. Ran a four-six-one forty. This guy can stop the run, rush the quarterback, and he's also solid in coverage. Had five interceptions in college, uh, and he's playing under head coach Mike Zimmer. It's a perfect fit for him. Zimmer is very well respected around the league as a defensive-minded coach. He was a defensive coordinator in Dallas, Atlanta, and Cincinnati from 2000 through 2013 before becoming Minnesota's head coach. Uh, and uh, one more thing to touch on Kendricks: I think his presence definitely hurts Chad Greenway's value. Well, what you got for the top ten, Josh? Uh, yeah, what? Gosh, we're going to be quite different here. Um, number three, and this is really remember these are dynasty rankings, so just I'm sorry, remember that. <laughs> number ten, I got Eli Harold, and and I I may be a little bit biased, and I am currently at trying to edit a massive piece that I wrote about him for the for the site. So look for that probably sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, I really like this kid. There's Definitely some concerns. Um, he's almost too fast for his position, if that makes sense. Uh, but I think he's going to bring a lot of versatility to San Francisco. Um, and we'll maybe have to have Sean talk about this a little bit more. But they run the 3-4. And when you watch the team and you kind of look at, and you look at the depth chart, they almost their front three are almost defend, all defensive tackles. So that's going to leave a lot of – you know, they and they try to get all those three guys to plug the five up up front. So that leaves the linebackers a lot of a lot of space that they need to take care of, and uh, that's going to be an interesting fit there. I believe, like with Dawson, I believe Harold has the ability to play inside, even though he was an edge guy in college. Um, he's six three, two forty seven, so he's a little thin. Watch, and that's the main reason he's not going to be a defensive end, especially in the San Francisco system. But I think he's going to be uh, uh, going to be able to play inside and kind of slip through the cracks and really do some damage, and really cause cause some quarterbacks some headaches. You know, the people say the main the main thing that you need to do to Tom Brady to get him off the scheme is rush up the middle, and I think Harold's the guy that, a guy that can really use his speed well and slip through the cracks up the middle. Um, uh, number t- nine, I got Bud Dupree. I again dynasty rankings. I think this Pittsburgh defense, where they've always seemed to get a lot of respect, they probably didn't deserve it last year, and they necessarily won't deserve get a lot of respect this year. But that team, what they did in the draft, and I'll get to a little bit more of that later, it wasn't ideal, and I know Mike Krafik wanted wanted some more DBs earlier in that draft, but I think they found some very solid players. The future of that defense leaves me really excited, especially if they could maybe add you know, another another quality DB in the next year's draft. But I think Pittsburgh's defense as a whole is going to be very solid moving forward, and I think a lot of the main reason because of that is Bud Dupree. He's an outside linebacker. I'm not exactly sure the tackle numbers he's going to produce as a rookie, but he has uh, the ability to create a lot of havoc, and I think he can certainly get you those eight to ten sacks and, and maybe and maybe he's going to be a situational guy this year, which could really help his sack numbers this year because I think he's going to provide a lot of a lot of good things off the edge. Uh, number eight, I have uh, Owa Digazua. 
Um, you know, we talked about that a lot with uh, Sean and where he's going to play and could he potentially replace uh, JPP there. I I think he can, but playing opposite JPP this year, if he, if he gets that defensive end role, is very exciting. That's going to open so much open open up so much for the rest of this defense and obviously Landon Collins who I also have a number five that's going to help him out there too. Um, they have a lot of speed on the other side where I think Azula should be playing uh, with De- Devon Kennard at weak side linebacker there so that has me really excited about what those two can do opposite Jason Pierre-Paul who's still going to demand some respect but hopefully get a little more open space with some young, young speedy talent on the other side. Number seven I have Randy Gravy. I'm probably a little bit higher on him than Sean, um, and he's a little high himself. But <laughs> sorry, that was too easy. Um, but he is listed as a defensive end. There's a lot of guys that were listed as edge guys that got that linebacker tag. Gregory's listed as defensive end. A lot of speed off of the edge, and, and playing with Greg Hardy, you know, hopefully getting giving him some tips and and moving forward is going to be something something that I'm going to like to see. And I think he's got a very good future if he keeps his nose clean uh, in Dallas there. So I, I think he could be, I think he could really be a nice sack guy moving forward. And so sack heavy leagues, maybe not as a rookie, but if you have an, a, the opportunity to let this guy nest on your roster for a while, do it. Uh, number six, Paul Dawson. I, I just can't give up on him. I, I don't love the landing spot and I don't like the position he's going to play. But like Sean said, if he's got to replace Perfect this year or early on, Perfect might not uh, get back into get back into ninety uh, percent of the snaps because he's he's got so much just awareness and agility and just instincts. Like Sean said, I I, I just I've talked about him enough, and I, you you know how I feel. Uh, Landon Collins, the only DB I have in my top ten. Uh, the you look at you know I wrote an article about him a few weeks ago. He's replaced a role in that defense. He made 80-some tackles last year. I think he could certainly produce that, too. He's going to play in the box. He's going to just destroy running backs when they, if, if they get through that line. Uh, Jonathan Hankins is another guy that deserves a lot of credit in the interior line there for the, for the Giants. Really excited about the Giants' defense. I don't think uh, Nick's probably excited about the Giants' defense, but I think they have some young pieces. And, you know, Collins might have some – some growing pains and he might give up some receptions but he's going to make a lot of tackles this year number four I got Vic Beasley gosh I wish I could find I wish MLF would have him listed as a defensive end but they do have him listed as an outside linebacker I think if I had to bet on who's going to have the most sacks as a rookie I would certainly put Beasley in there I think uh, at the top of my list I should say I think he just has so much potential so much speed on the edge that he can produce a whole hell of a lot there Number two, or excuse me, number three, I have Stephon Anthony. Obviously, the the position he's moving into, voided by Curtis Loft, and he had like a, something like 140 tackles last year, which is ridiculous. Um, that's certainly a possibility that he's not going to get 140, but he certainly has a has a chance to to get around the century mark, and that, that's got to be something you really need to look at. And even if he doesn't do that this year. Uh, moving forward, it's certainly a possibility as an annual thing. Number two, I have Denzel Perryman. I know there's bodies on this team. I have no doubt that he's going to surpass them. Um, and 
something to be said about the, you know the Napoleon syndrome of just being five eleven. Gosh, I think he's only two thirty as well. Um, you know, Chris Spielman was another guy that was really small and turned back the clock a little bit, but he certainly made the most of his opportunities. Zach Thomas is another guy, and I see a lot of Zach Thomas in Perryman. But this guy is so quick side to side, such great lateral movement, and he hits hard, and I think that's going to be uh, – I know that's not – you know, you don't get points for how hard your guys hit. Uh, but I think he's certainly going to make a great impact. Uh, and then, of course, number one, I have Eric Hendricks, the guy, like I said, it took 2.13 in DFW 36 because I needed linebackers and I needed to grab another one too. Uh, yeah, we've we've already talked touched enough about him this this show, but yeah, he's certainly the number one IDP rookie option. Maybe not this year, but moving forward, he's going to be uh, one heck of a player there in Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, that's our top ten. Probably a little a little jaded, a little different from Sean's uh, positional ranks, but uh, that's just kind of how we are seeing things. So we'd like to redistribute our, our top tens there. Uh, a lot of the ADP, IDP content as well. So, uh Let's move on to a little something that we like to call Nick Rant. It's where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. And uh, instead of playing the Nick Rant music, let's just hear what Nick said about Justin Hunter again, because that just makes me smile. I mean, Justin Hunter, really? Try catching 30 passes in a season before you start complaining about roster moving. (laughs) (laughs) That was me laughing twice. But anyway, go ahead, Nick. What do you got for us in Nick Rant? Well, one very popular belief held by dynasty owners is that you should always try to build a team a team around wide receivers. And while I agree that if you have a chance to get an elite young wide receiver like uh, Des Bryant, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, uh, maybe even A.J. Green or Odell Beckham, then of course grab him. But the current crop of wide receivers is so deep that if I missed out on getting a top five guy in a startup draft, I could see waiting until, I don't know, round six or maybe even later to draft one. I've looked at DFW's rankings, and I picked seven wide receivers outside of the top 40 at the position that I think would give me a shot to be competitive both right away and in future years. Uh, Let's start with uh, number 43, Golden Tate. All he did was uh, get 1,300 yards receiving last year. And if I paired him with fellow veterans Brandon LaFell, who's ranked six. 63 and Kendall Wright, 52. Uh, those two guys may not have massive upside, but I think they have uh, very high floors. LaFell's catching balls from Tom Brady, and Kendall Wright's produced no matter who his quarterback has been there in Tennessee. Uh, moving on, uh, wide receiver 74, Kenny Britt. He led the Rams in rece- uh, receivers last year, and he'd be my pick to do so again this year, while uh, number 60, Marquise Lee, should see a bump in production in year two. And then you have two rookies, number 50, Devin Quenches, and number 87, I don't know how he's this low, but Justin Hardy with the Falcons. Those two guys would round out my top seven. Now, you may not... Uh, you, can do, you may not be as high on these particular guys as I am, but no matter who your so-called sleeper wide receivers are, I think this is a sound strategy. Load up on talented young wide receivers. Remember, my oldest was 23-year-old Brandon LaFell. Everyone else on this list is 26 or younger. Load up on these young receivers after getting elite players at thinner positions, like running back, quarterback, tight end, or in IDP leagues, uh, grab a stud like J.J. Water, Luke Keekley. I realize some of Dynasty owners will view this strategy as borderline blasphemous, but at least this year, I believe it's the way to go for those drafting towards the middle or end of round one in startup drafts. Josh? Uh, good point. Uh, in a startup last year, my first wide receiver taken was uh, 
uh, Brandon Marshall, and that certainly didn't work out exactly how I wanted it to. And I and I and I only got one of the rookie crop last year, and I was really really regretting it as the season progressed and how great those guys were doing. And I'm not trying to dissuade what you're saying, but I do have some decent talent there. Um, you know, and it depends. Just because you miss out on you know the top guys doesn't mean you can't still build with younger, maybe under the radar guys. You know, Marquis Lee is a guy that I'm going to talk about in our question and answer on Saturday. He's going so late in startups. I just, he's going to be the starting wide receiver there as the possession guy. And I, I think he's a great guy that people can get late and he's going to produce if he stays healthy, especially PPR numbers. He's going to produce really solid PPR numbers. Um, you know, and Terrence Williams is another guy that's going super late for some reason. You know, I know he's got Des Brand and Des is the man there, but I just feel that he's going to produce, he's, and he's only going to get better. This is his third year. We know they come out, and he's not going to, in the third year, maybe he's not going to come out like a lot of other guys, but he's, I think he still certainly has the potential, excuse me, potential to, to be more productive this year than he was last year, um, even if he's just scoring touchdowns. Nothing wrong with scoring touchdowns, right, Dynasty owners? Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very good points there, and, uh, you, you talk, like you talked about, you know, load up on these guys where the depth isn't so big. It's not necessarily a bad idea. So certainly, certainly a good, a good, a good some good thoughts there, Nick. Um, what would you trade for Odell Beckham? And I know I missed some dynasty trade analysis, so we'll get to that right after this. But Nick, what would you trade for Odell Beckham Jr.? Well, if I looked at my uh, main dynasty team, I had the fifth overall pick in the first round. I would actually go as far as to trade that plus uh, plus a guy like a Keenan Allen, who I view as kind of a low end number two. I think that would be a I would give up that. And you know, if it took trading, also throwing in like a Tory Smith or a Kenny Stills, a couple guys in new systems, I'd throw one of those guys in there too. I'm really high on Odell Beckham. And with these, you know, trading the middle first round pick, like like I said before, half the guys that get drafted in the in the early rounds in the NFL end up being bust. I know we all tend to get rookie fever this time of year, but uh, you, you, you got to take a dose of reality. And if you can trade a first-round pick for a guy who's actually proven himself in the NFL, I would do it. Okay, yeah. Um, you still run that risk just because he produced awesome one year and they absolutely fed him the ball down the stretch because they really had nobody else to do so. Um, you you don't have that, that, that long pedigree. Sorry, there's just so much beeping going on in the background. I can't get anything turned down for some reason. But, um, uh, yeah, you still have some issues there. As far as what I would trade, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard. It's, I know, and then I, don't, I don't mean to pick on you because you finished higher than me in our league, and that's why you had 1.05 and I had 1.04. Uh, but it, it'd be hard for me to trade out of the top four, considering the top four prospects this year. I ended up getting Kevin White in both of, most of my dynasties, and I'm pretty pretty happy, even though I had I had the fifth pick in one of them. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I don't know if I would trade out of there, but if I had a later first round, and I could and I could do that, or if I could trade like the first round pick next year, and uh, maybe another wide receiver on my core, if that's what they wanted. I would certainly do that. Um, as far as what I would take for Beckham, I think it, it's hard because you don't want to, you know, if you need, if Beckham's your only guy and you want to, you want to get a couple guys, you know, if you can get like a Keenan Allen and 
you know, maybe another guy that's kind of under the radar that you think is going to produce better. Um, I don't know if that's going to – I think that's something you could realistically take for him. People aren't going to think that's enough because they're going to want a high pick in there too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really it's really very perceptive as far as what, what happens and what you will, will and what not take. And, obviously, everybody's going to have a, an opinion about it. Um, so, it's yeah, it's a, it's a hard call. But uh, I, I think uh, – what would you trade for Keenan Allen, Nick? Would you? T- I already know I just drafted my second round pick, but I thought you put him on his trading block. What? What would you? I know we're going off subject here, but uh, what do you want for Keenan Allen? I kind of like. I kind of like that. That you put him out there. Well, when I put up the trading block, I basically put half my team on the trading block, just hoping to kind of get some offers and maybe move a few pieces around. But I'm. I'm Personally, not really high on Keenan Allen. I mean, I'm not going to take a third-round pick for him. That's that's too low. So there'd have to be some players involved now. I was hoping to maybe get an early early to mid-second for him, but that didn't happen. So. Okay. Well, that's the league I'm planning on winning now. So uh, we'll we'll maybe look at some future picks. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um. <laughs> um. Uh. More dynasty trade analysis here. Uh, Todd Gurley on the block here. Interesting move here. Uh, Jay, or uh, the man over here at DFW, the the pusher of all buttons. Uh, Jay gave up Todd Gurley and got Devontae Adams. Uh, pick one point two four, and a first round and a first round in two thousand sixteen. So two first round picks and Devontae Adams for. Todd Gurley, what do you thought? So, uh, one of Aaron Rodgers' targets, two first round picks for a wide receiver coming off a torn ACL, or a running back coming off a torn ACL. Yeah, I love giving up Todd Gurley and picking up all that. Yeah, that's uh, interestingly enough, I, Jay's in another another league and with a, with a friend of ours, Ron McCleese, and. Uh, Ron just traded out of 1.01 so Jay could take time. Uh, so Jay uh, uh, traded for Todd Gurley and essentially gave up Todd Gurley in a couple of different leagues. So he, uh, he, you know, he seemed to be a little quiet over this last couple of months, but since the rookie draft has started, he is all over the place. He's really trying to sell Drew Brees pretty hard, but uh, yeah, that's, you know, if you can get a boat for for Todd Todd Gurley in uh, a boat load, I should say, uh, or get a boat and I don't know why I'm going with that metaphor. Sorry. Uh, if you can get a hold, you know, you can get a hold lot for Gurley because so many people are so high on him. I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, I love getting two first round picks. I couldn't personally myself trading two first round picks for anybody unless I really thought my team was going was going to be, uh, you know, let's say I won the league last year and I thought I could really contend this year too. But obviously injuries happen. So if you can get two first-round picks for anybody, unless, of course, and luck, I, I would probably probably do that. Um, moving on, uh, Devontae Adams again. Maybe he might be the most traded player this offseason. <laughs> We've talked about him maybe more so than anybody else. Uh, uh but Devontae Adams, uh, Randall Cobb's been out there a lot too, but Devontae Adams was traded. Excuse me. Oh, Jay gave up. Same league. Jay gave up Devontae Adams. Uh, th- pick 3.11 and a 
and a 2016 first-round pick and got C.J. Anderson, 3.47, and a 2016 first-round pick. What are your thoughts there? Well, it's a long run. I'm not sure if I did. Uh, Yeah, um, looks like Jay gave up uh, Devontae Adams, who he just picked up, and that uh, next year's first-round pick that he had picked up in the previous uh, trade. But then he gets C.J. Anderson, who – probably is going to be the lead back in Denver. It's you got to say probably because they did have three lead backs last year. And then, you know, swaps first-round picks next year and uh, ends up moving down a little bit in the third round. But yeah, I, I think this is a good trade. You know, you, you don't know for sure that Devontae Adams is going to – how much he's going to produce down the stretch, especially since the Green Bay added another uh, receiver in the middle rounds of the draft this year. That may be a sign that they don't – fully trust in Adams, so I, I like the trade. It's, I, I don't love it, but I like it. Mm. Oh, yes. Devontae Adams has certainly been a an object of controversy and not controversy, but uh, not bad controversy, but uh, certainly a name out there a lot here this offseason. I, I don't know about this trade. I, I'm not sold that C.J. Anderson is the man. I, I know he's very good last year and whatnot, but I just, I'm not totally sold on him. So, um, but, uh, I, I guess if I had to pick a side, I would, I would take, take the CJ Anderson side, just trading on a little bit in the third round and getting, and getting a 16 back. So not, not necessarily a bad, a bad move there. Uh, final one here, I shall say Devonte Adams is not involved, but, uh, Matt Forte, John Brown and Kevin White, for Mike Evans and Burgundy is the one giving up Mike Evans. So, what are your thoughts on uh, My thoughts are I'd be scared to be in a league with Burgundy because every trade that we uh, analyze, it seems like I think he's the big winner in, and this one's no different. I mean, remember, Mike Evans, he only had three 100 yard games last year, and one of those games came against the Redskins. I'm pretty sure you or I could be going for 100 yards against that secondary last year. And you're getting Kevin White. Uh, John Brown and Matt Forte. I know Matt Forte's only got one, maybe two years tops as an elite running back, but but still, for for a guy that really, again, only 300-yard games under his belt, I definitely like picking up all those guys. Uh, yeah, it's it's you're taking a young guy and getting a whole lot, a young guy that a lot of people are excited about and getting a whole lot back for him. I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with that, and uh, I'm not sure where Burgundy is in this league, but uh, John Brown is a guy that's been coming keep coming up on my people trying to trade to, trade me to him, and I don't disagree with getting him. If you're in a team that's not wanting to, to contend this year but into the future, I think he's a nice guy. If you can you know, get, give up a third or fourth round pick for him, if something's willing to do that or just slide back down and around or something and get John Brown back, I would not not dissuade that. And you got Kevin White and, and Forte. So uh, he got two great receivers as far as I'm concerned. John Brown's maybe not, you know, a top 20 wide receiver ever, but he's certainly going to be a contributor and we'll see what he can do this year as he matures. Uh, Kevin White is a guy that obviously tons of people are excited about and it's not that far-fetched to think that he could produce similar numbers to what Mike Evans did last year. And he gets Forte to make a nice, you know, to make for a nice running back there for a couple of years for him. So, yeah, Burgundy wins. And I will say I have not made a trade with Burgundy. He's offered me 
a handful, and I have not accepted because I didn't like them. And maybe, uh, maybe we know each other too well at this point, and we, <laughs> and obviously he knows a lot of people better in those leagues than me. But uh, I don't know. He he doesn't seem to make very fair offers. Let's put it to that. Um, and I'm not saying Dan's not fair or anything bad, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm not considering it fair, and that is why I'm rejecting. So I don't mean to yell at Dan, but I did. Um, Dynasty dilemma time, Nick. Uh, we're going to pit two players against each other. This week we did David Cobb versus Jay Ajay. Um, if you're wondering, Ajay, I took Ajay and a rookie in DFW 36 before, before the David Cobbs went off the board, and uh, the reverse happened to be an next Dynasty League. So let's get the music. <laughs> Okay, Nick, you had the opportunity to choose first this week, so go ahead. Well, Josh, I sympathize with your situation as a Lamar um, Lamar Miller owner, and I fully understand how in your situation you would want to drive. But all things being equal, give me David Cobb. I mean, how is he not going to be the starter by mid-October? Sean Green may be the least exciting running back in the NFL to have over 350 yards last year, but at least his 4.2 yards per carry were better than their second-round pick in last year's preseason fantasy darling Bishop Sankey's 3.7 yards per carry. Tennessee likely is going to struggle, as most teams do that take a quarterback number two overall. So why wouldn't they mortgage the present to build for the future, so to speak, much like Jacksonville did last year playing all those rookies. They've got a rookie quarterback, uh, DGB at wide receiver, uh, Cobb at running back, and see if they're set at those three positions in the future. Now let's look at the situation for Ajay in Miami. First off, the Dolphins are in win-now mode at a projected $17 million over the salary cap next year, so I believe they're going to want the veteran Miller in the game most of the time. And really, Lamar Miller's earned the right to play. He's only 24 years old, but he's played for three years, and look at his yards per carry, 4.9 as a rookie, down to four yards per carry in 2013, when, remember, the offensive line was the laughing stock of the league due to Bullygate, and then he jumped it all the way up to 5.1 yards per carry last year and had one yard shy of 1,100 yards. I think he will be a lead back in 2015. So not only does a guy come with a long-term injury concern, you know, they say his knee is said to be bone-on-bone with no cartilage left, but his rookie year could easily be a wash while they while they feed Miller the ball during a contract season. Plus, while Ajay had 17 100-yard games at Boise State, only one of those games came versus a top conference opponent in Arizona. Then I look at Cobb's 1,300-yard games versus the likes of Ohio State, Penn State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, redraft, startup, rookie draft, I don't care what the format. Give me David Cobb. Okay. Uh, well, first off, I would like to say the knee is fine. That injury happened four years ago with a guy. The knee is fine. Uh, did I mention the knee is fine? Uh, and, yes, I have tried order copies of the sculpt x-ray and uh i even asked to taste the fluid no i'm just kidding uh but seriously <laughs> this pickle drinking dread flopping beast is going to be what ricky williams was to reggie bush and nick spare me your pot references i know which you know what i mean uh there's plenty of smoke swirl around around the around the draft rooms of the peeps that passed on a giant let's just put it that way. Um, I'm looking 
I'm looking at you, Jerry Jones. Uh, but uh, anyone, anyway, David Cobb is very attractive in the short term. I do not disagree with you there. But if I feel Wisenhunt might take early success from this kid and then absolutely drive him into the ground with carries, especially with a rookie quarterback, um, Ajay has superior long-term value. Lamar Miller will be – he will be a re- – Lamar Miller will be a reoccurring painful zit this season for Ajay owners. Uh, but uh, come 2016, I think this guy has the power and versatility to be a three-down monster. Um, you know, Miller is really at a crossroads in his career. Is he going to take that next step and just be a guy that we can count on for the next two or three years? I don't think there's too many people out there that, that would say yes. And I, that's why Ajay is there. I know he was a fifth-round pick, and they're not going to be expecting a whole lot from him this year, especially with you know since he's basically playing on one leg because his knee is so terrible. Uh, but he's going to be a nice compliment piece this year. And long term, I just just really love what he brings to the table. Um, last year at Boise State, Ajay became the first player in FBS history to have over 1,800 rushing yards and 500 yards receiving in the same season. So apparently, the knee was fine last year. Um, he totally. Reminds me, like I said, of Ricky Williams, but with with better hands. Um, if that comparison is too geographically convenient for you, he also reminds me a little bit of Chris Ivory and Oziah, Oz, excuse me, Isaiah Crowell. And I know that's not a very exciting comparison. Um, so let's let's go with this one as my ultimate comparison for him, since I'm really trying to confuse you here, Nick. Uh, I perfect mix of Tiki Barber and Alfred Morris. Um, great hands like Barber, power like Morris. Uh, basically, I see greatness in him despite, you know, obviously playing on one leg. And I think he's just a more complete running back than David Cobb, and that's why I'm licking my chops that I got this guy with one pick 1.35 and DFW 36. Uh, any rebuttal? You know, the film on Ajay was so great at Boise State that I, I just – can't see him slipping to the fifth round without NFL doctors who went to school for a long time and make a heck of a lot more money than I do. You know, they must have some real concerns for a guy whose film was that good to slip to the fifth round. Okay. Um, I think Miami has something to do with that. I think they wanted him to slip that far. But anyway, if you want to vote on that dynasty dilemma, make sure you go to dynasty football warehouse right now and cast your vote. Hopefully you didn't vote before you listened to us. There was a lot of votes out there, and David Cobb was certainly, uh, I think, winning two to one at that point. So uh, if you think who did better, go and vote, please, at DFW. Um, moving on to questions from the forum. Uh, is this enough to move Gronk into PPR? Gronk, Bryce Brown, Halu, and Bortles, and Pick. 3.104, Amari Cooper, Eric Ebron, pick 1.4, pick 2.2, and pick 2.4. What are your thoughts? A lot, a lot of moving parts there. That, that is a lot of moving parts. I, I think I'd probably do it. Um, I, I like Bortles more than most, so that makes it a little tougher for me. But the fact that you're getting Amari Cooper, Eric Ebron, who we've talked about on previous shows, tight ends take a year or two to develop. Don't be completely disheartened by the lack of success you had last year. Plus, you're getting the fourth pick, and it's a top-four heavy draft. And two seconds, I think I'd move on for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too. You know, Gronk certainly had some injury history, and uh, he doesn't have – 
on his resume two amazing years in a row like some other guys do. And, you know, the injury history, like I said, just really just really scares me. And uh, I I don't know if we're, we're done seeing issues from Deflategate, and I think if Brady doesn't shut up, he's going to miss a lot more time. So we'll see how that all all works out. But I, I have some definite concerns about that Patriots team this year. And um, although I think they really nicely upgraded their defense since we had our ATP show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's – I, that's enough to move Gronk, uh, and I and I think Ebron is a guy that down the road. I know I was way high on, too high on him last year, but I think a guy that he's down the road that's going to be a nice integral part of that offense. Okay, next question: Who are your votes for offensive and defensive rookie of the year at this early part of the season, early part of the off season? What do you think, Nick? Well, offensive, uh, I'm going to go with Nelson Aguilar, the receiver for the Eagles. I just think the system that he's in is a great, uh, great system for uh, anybody to be in. And he was so polished uh, at USC. I think he's going to slide right in and contribute. Whereas a lot of the other guys I do have questions about, you know, uh, Gurley's coming back from the injury, could miss the first month. So that takes him out of uh, out of the, fa- out of the factor. Amari Cooper, he, you know, could be the, draw so much attention being the most talented guy in Oakland that that could limit his his opportunities. Yeah, I, I got to go with Aguilar. And on the defensive side of the ball, it's so hard to predict because usually the guys who win defensive rookie of the year are guys that get turnovers, and those are pretty hard to predict. So I'm going to go with the guy that I think is going to have the biggest impact on his team, and that's going to be uh, Landon Collins, I believe, stay in the division in the NFC East at the Giants. Uh, I just think he is a major upgrade over role in a role's age and it's going to bring a level of physicality to this secondary that they were lacking last year. Okay. Uh, defensive side, I'm going to go Trey Williams. I think, like you said, typically those guys that get that defensive MPR guy that gets turnovers, uh, they have an amazing corner on the other side in Xavier Rhodes, and I think Williams is certainly going to be tested this year. Um, Bruce Kimbrough DFW wrote an amazing piece on him a couple of days ago. And this guy is just a stone-cold killer. I think he's going to be a ball hawk. I think he's going to do some major damage for this Vikings team. I hope Vikings fans are as excited as I am about that tandem of cornerbacks. So I'm going to go Trey Williams. Offensive side of the ball, you know, you want to think it's a fantasy stud. Um, but And I don't know why I keep coming back to this, Nick, but I'm, I'm going to say it's Jameis Winston. And I know I've been very vocal about him, but I think if that team is eight and eight or nine and seven, people are going to be all over him for rookie of offensive rookie of the year because I think they're going to finish with a better record than Tennessee. And if they somehow get things going, and I think they have a lot of nice, nice, a lot of a lot of moving parts there that could could create on that offense especially Charles Sims. I think it's going to be Winston. I don't know why, but I just I just have that feeling, and I know. Typically, those awards kind of go to the go to the really you know more popular positions like quarterbacks. So um, there's certainly plenty of guys out there that could have it. So that's a great question. A um, uh, battle for number three running back. Who do you prefer, T.J. Yeldon or Tevin Coleman? Did we do this in a dynasty dilemma a couple weeks ago? 
Uh, yes, we did, and my answer is the same as it was back then, T.J. Yeldon. I think he's got the clear path to being uh, the number one running back there, whereas Coleman's got to fight off Freeman, who right now in OTAs, Freeman's running with the first team in Atlanta. So I'll take T.J. Yeldon. Okay. I am just really scared by Jaguars, so I uh, probably, you know, reality-wise, I would be scared by an actual Jaguar, and I'm scared about owning them on my – my dynasty team. So uh, I'm going to go with Tevin Coleman. And I think that Shanahan offense, that zone blocking scheme is going to be amazing for him. They're going to open up lanes for him. And I, you know, I think if Atlanta, you know, obviously you don't know what's going to happen in your off season, but if Atlanta really wanted this guy to be their running back in the future, I think they would have gave him a lot more than like 60 carries last year. So, and maybe he wasn't fully healthy or maybe they weren't comfortable with them, but there, you know, there is, certainly a change at the top there and Coleman is the guy that this new regime took and I think that's going to be the reason he gets that nod and uh, I let's just say a little bit upset that I didn't get him in any of our rookie drafts I almost want to get in a startup so I can draft him way too high but uh, I did that last year with Bishop Sankey so maybe it's a good thing I didn't but uh, uh, I'm still going to go Coleman I just I, I love him and uh, like I said that zone blocking team there is going to open up some major holes for him and I and I just can't be more excited about him no offense to Yeldon just not a fan um, so dynasty rookie update Nick once you uh, I guess I can start uh, DFW with my first pick which was 1.13 uh, which was essentially 0.105 I took Kevin White, somebody slipped all the – there was three copies of, a, of each player in that league, and I got the last copy of Kevin White because somebody slipped up – not slipped up, but they took T.J. Yeldon. So people are obviously very high in T.J. Yeldon, so I got Kevin White. Um, number, with my number two pick, like I said earlier, I got a, a Jai with pick 1.35, which is essentially pick uh, 1.11. Uh, excuse me, yeah, 1.11. Um uh, very excited about that. And this is again, again, this is a team that I'm building for a couple of years. Tom, I don't, I don't think I'm going to contend this year. I'm going to expect a lot more out of my team next year, and obviously a lot more the following year. Um, with pick one point, excuse me, pick two point zero three, which I think I also mentioned earlier, I took uh, Eric Kendricks, linebacker, was my biggest need on that team, and I and I believe I got the best prospect, the best IDP guy out there. Um, so very excited about him. And again, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a beast and you know a hundred hundred and fifty tackles this first year this is a team that i'm building and i think what he's going to turn into there in minnesota is going to be something very special uh the last pick i had in that draft pick 2.31 which is pick which is pick uh excuse me 1.11 yeah 1.11 Sorry, 1.35 is actually 1.12. Uh, 1.31 is pick 1.10, or 1.11, sorry, to confuse you all. I took Mike Mike Davis. Mike Davis. Okay. My son threw my daughter's doll up on the roof. If you're wondering what's going on in my house. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I took, uh, took Mike Davis. Again, I've seen my building for a couple of years, and I love him, love the future there. I know he's got height in front of him, but I think what he's going to develop in, it's, it's going to be a nice timeshare, especially next year there, and I think Davis is going to ultimately win that job over the next couple of years. Why don't you go on to yours there, Nick? 
Uh, well, in uh, this is a different league. This is our league, of course. Uh, I had the fifth overall pick, and I took Nelson Aguilar. You know, would have loved it if uh, Kevin White had flipped to me like he did in your league there with uh, your fifth pick, but he didn't, so I happily took Aguilar. I really am high on that kid. Um, and then in the, in the second round, I was convinced that you uh, were going to go with my guy David Johnson with the fourth pick in the second round, especially given the fact that you are uh, an Andre Ellington owner. I thought that was a no-brainer for you. And also you have Sankey and you passed on David Cobb and you went with uh, Rashad Perriman. Not that it was a bad value. I think it was great value that you got Perriman there, but I just was shocked that Johnson was still available for me with the fifth pick in the second round. I almost did a car wheel. Mm, okay, yeah, that's right. You went Johnson there. I forgot. I, somebody took Cobb shortly after that. Um, yeah, and those are both my handcuffs. I know that would have been nice. This is the best ball. Um, and I just, I really, like I said, I really felt like I missed the boat last year on wide receivers. That's why I went wide receiver, wide receiver. Uh, and I only got one rookie last year, and that was Marquise Lee, who missed a bunch of times. So now I got Perryman uh, there in the second round, and I took Kevin White. So I took Kevin White with my first picks in both rookie drafts. So I think I have some nice young receivers that I can build around. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going in the next direction of that draft. I think I'll probably just go best player, but I do have I do have some people in mind, so uh, uh, we'll leave it at that. But I'm very excited to have two very young receivers that I think are going to grow uh, grow into that. And this is that team, that certain dynasty thing. I I finished, uh, you know, I had the fourth overall pick, so I finished, you know, what ninth last year, ninth out of twelve teams. But I think my team this year is going to really contend. Um, especially if some of my quarterbacks come around. But uh, I, I really think that that team has a, has a solid shot. And uh, I like my running backs with Ellington and Sankey and uh, Jeremy Hill. I also have Charles Sims, so I think he's going to play a big role for Tampa. Hopefully he can stay healthy. So um, I did miss miss the shot in my handcuffs. But these are, you know, these are both young, young running backs. So it's not like they're – I missed out on their handcuffs because they're going to be retiring here in the next couple of years. I, I did miss out on their handcuffs, but uh, that's kind of, but they're still young. So I still think we're looking at timeshares, not necessarily handcuffs, I guess we'll say. So uh, that's all we'll have for you. I'm sure we'll have some more rookie updates next week. Any closing thoughts there, Nick? Um, no, I think we hit it all. Good show, Josh. Yeah, definitely great show. And like I said, if you missed any of it or missed Sean earlier talking IDP, you want to go back and listen to that because uh, solid, solid stuff there. And uh, we'll continue to give you more IDP coverage as we move forward here through the summer. So thank you very much for listening uh, all and uh, have a good week there, Nick. Oh, 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 oh,